Before I bring our guests up, I just want to talk to you a little bit about the magazine. Um, this is our second issue, and uh, when I got here on staff at the Advent, Andrew asked me, Andrew Pearson, our dean, asked me to consider putting together this magazine. Uh, and the, the vision that we came up with was uh, not to create necessarily a magazine that's kind of like a like an alumni magazine that you might get in the mail or things like that, you know, that you sort of put on your coffee table and never read, right? You probably get those. Uh, so instead, flipped it on its head, and we wanted to provide some content for you that's great art, real good writing that you'll actually uh, enjoy. Um, and uh, keep it on your coffee table because you want to read it. And keep it on your bookshelf for years, and I hope you'll, you'll do that. That'll have some, some staying power, a timeless piece. And I think we've... We've really done that. One person who's not here tonight that I should mention on the magazine staff is Tom Martin, who's the uh, art director. I'm recording this event. Tom will probably listen to it. Thank you, Tom. Uh, Tom is also the art director for Oxford American Magazine, if you've ever heard of that, which is like a really cool quarterly uh, literary journal. And he's the guy who also puts together this uh, fledgling publication for a church, which I think is so great. So when you look at the design of the magazine, uh, Tom's the guy who puts that together. Uh, and last year, we, uh, we did storytelling was the theme. We take a theme each year and try to tackle it. And this year was creativity. And the themes that we're trying to address are things that uh, I'm thinking are out there in the world that a lot of people are talking about, both uh, sort of outside of the church context, but also in the church context. And for several years, I was hearing a lot about narrative and storytelling which is why last year we did the storytelling issue. Uh, but I've been hearing since I moved to Birmingham in particular recently about the idea of creativity. And so that's why we did the creativity issue this year. And we have tons to say about both of these themes uh, just out of sheer interest, but also theologically. Uh, storytelling, we said a lot about the story of the Bible, uh, the story of Jesus Christ. But also creativity, how do we talk about God and his goodness and creation and us being made in the image of God uh, and what that means in a way that's not, um, I don't know, sort of stereotypical. Uh, and I think that we've, we've really done that here uh, in a way that's uh, refreshing. Uh, re Mark Gillette, I pointed him out earlier, he uh, wrote a great uh, essay about the sort of biblical vision of creativity and uh, God's creation and us being created in the image of God and the, the hope that is to come. And one of the cool things about that piece is Mark wrote it and the artwork next to it is by his wife, Naomi Ginolette. Um, and there's a lot of stuff in this creativity issue that was collaborative uh, between the, the, the writer and the artist coming together to think about uh, how the, the, the visual will go well with the written piece. So two of the guys I'm going to bring out up in a minute uh, are one writer and an artist who work together, and we'll talk about the collaborative nature of their, um, of their work. So why don't, I, why don't we go ahead and move to that with Stephen Watson, uh, Marty, and also Jeremy, come on up, and we're going to have a little bit of a conversation. And you'll have to uh, share that mic between the three of you. Why don't we, uh, just to start, can you guys briefly introduce yourselves? Hello, I'm Stephen. Uh, I am an assistant professor of art at Samford University. I teach sculpture, and I've been in Birmingham. This is my third year, originally from Arkansas. 
Uh, I want to say hi to my wife and son, Eli, who are here today. Hey, I'm Marty. I'm an artist here from Birmingham. I've been here for almost 12 years. Um, I work in retail management. I also do photography and now do um, portraits made out of blue painter's tape. My name is Jeremy Moore. I'm a singer-songwriter here in Birmingham. Uh, I released a record back in September and throughout Southeast Plains shows. I also do church music and worship leading in town here uh, at Easton. What's it called? Yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, well, let's just start talking with you, Stephen, if you want to grab the mic. Thanks, guys, for introducing yourselves. Uh, Stephen uh, is our cover artist. When you look at the cover of the magazine, that's an art installation made with spice, and it's up here. If you wondered why the, the room smells like an Indian restaurant, uh, because there's a bunch of spices up here. So um, we met, I don't know, a little less than a year ago, and uh, I was just really intrigued by your artwork. And when I was thinking about uh, issue two, the creativity issue, um, uh, I thought, I don't know, maybe it'll work. <laughs> and we started talking uh, through some possibilities. But uh, can you just sort of explain how this works, how the, the spice installations work? OK. Uh, I got here at noon today. And I worked for four hours. And then it looks like that. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's pieces of plexiglass that I cut out with a jigsaw. And then uh, the plexiglass persists through installations. Uh, but the, the creation itself of the spices is just a one-time thing. And then it's destroyed right after. So as soon as the auction is over, we're going to destroy this. We're going to destroy Unless someone buys it. If anybody wants to, I mean, it's, it's destined for the trash. So. Uh, so I'll knock all the spices off. So they're, they're created on site. I have to travel to do them. Um, and uh, I used lavender, uh, hibiscus, cinnamon, curry, turmeric, paprika, and chili powder. And you got your start working on this kind of artwork actually in the church. Uh, yeah. I went to the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa. and. Some route, somehow, I convinced them to let me make a series of liturgical works for my church as my graduate thesis. Uh, and so on a bi-weekly basis, I would sort of swoop in on the weekend and build a temporary installation in the lobby. Uh, at the time, I would sculpt with anything, tape measures, balloons, uh, plants, anything that I found conceptually relevant. And one of the last ones I made was made of spice. And we were talking about uh, what it means to be on mission. And so while everyone was gathered inside the church, I was outside frantically dispensing cinnamon, mint, and myrrh on the steps outside. And at the close of the, uh, the, close of the service, everyone was invited to use that exit and walk on the spices as they were leaving. And it kind of had a, a threefold thing. It, uh, it was a threshold for the congregation to break, a kind of we'd all gathered together and now let's go out and cross this line and go back out into the world. Uh, it created a map of dissemination of uh, footprints from uh, each direction each person went back to their car. Uh, and it was an anointing of feet. Uh, this reminder that 2 Corinthians tells us to be the aroma of Christ. 
that good news is sweet smelling, and we should take this sweet aroma with us back into the world. And so uh, they stepped on the cinnamon and mint and myrrh, and they all smelled a little bit different. Uh, and so for whatever reason, three years ago, spices just took over, and I quit doing everything else, and now I'm just the spice guy. And you dedicate, you're dedicating 10 years to the That's spice. the goal. Yeah. I wanna every have, state, right? I want to have a spice show in every state in 10 years. Yeah. Okay. Well, we've got Alabama well covered. Yeah. Um, if anybody's from anywhere else. <laughs> we have a, a bunch of folks from Michigan here. Well, I have not done Michigan. Let's do it. So take note. Yeah. Um, so tell us about this. What is the inspiration for this installation here? Uh, I wanted to do something Birmingham specific and even uh, Cathedral Church of the Advent specific and so You invited me to come and look around and one thing that really stuck with me was that stained glass window in the It's called Meyer Chapel. So if you have a chance go down that passageway and on the left. There's a chapel I'm Baptist. We don't have those extra <laughs> extra churches. Oh, we don't. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> uh, anyway, <laughs> we uh, I was looking at that and it, it's basically Jesus as Jesus of Birmingham. He kind of has his arms stretched out, and it's over a factory and a hotel. Actually, I, we put a photo that Holly took of it. If you look at page six, that's the stained glass in the chapel. And you'll see the factories on his, I think, his And lab. I thought it was so quirky and strange, but really interesting, and something I wanted to incorporate. So actually, that's that uh, the factory is the motif for the entire design, those little smoke curls and the, the brown silhouette of the factory. Um, I was asked a, a difficult question a, maybe a few months ago, and it was, what is Jesus doing in Birmingham? Specifically, what's he doing here? And I found it a really hard question to answer. Uh, I, this certainly doesn't answer that, uh, but it just has me thinking of kind of the glorious thing that our God isn't just God of the Jews any longer, uh, with Christ coming and breaking down the dividing wall and opening it up for everyone. He's now available to Birminghamians. Birminghamians. Only been here three years, sorry. Birminghamians. Yeah. Uh, so I just I'm, I'm looking for God here. I'm looking for what He's doing, and uh, I'm finding Him here and there. I find Him in the art, and I think He's in our music, and He's in our food, and He's in our medicine, and He's in things like this. Um, thank you, Stephen. An another artist that I met in the last year who works with a really ordinary, mundane medium, just like this is with spice. Uh, a year ago, Marty, how do you say your last name? Balenci? Oh, Balenci. Balenci. I should have asked beforehand. <laughs> Sorry. Marty creates portraits, and you can see one there on the left, uh, to your right, uh, next to Leaf, uh, out of blue painter's tape, um, if, you, if you didn't catch that. And that is a portrait of Jeremy right there. <laughs> I actually got a photo of Jeremy looking at it for the first time. It was like he was looking in the mirror. Um, and I knew when I met Marty about a year ago, I need to do something with him, and I don't quite know what it is yet. Uh, and for this issue, I didn't know what he would create, but we just sat down, had a conversation, and started talking, uh, and, and came to this uh, eventually. But before we get to that, can you just explain uh, the Blue Painters tape and what led you to this project? So it just kind of fell in my lap. Um, I've always drawn or painted, done photography ever since I was a child. 
And the girl I lived with, we would actually use the painter's tape and tear it and cut it and leave each other notes on the front door, the kitchen counter, um, just like, love you, welcome home, or just small jokes. I would get a little bored and I started tearing the tape and cutting it and started doing different designs on the kitchen counter and the front door. And I eventually just taught myself as each one, like more and more detail that I could put into them. They started off very simple and now they've gotten to be very detailed. And you primarily do portraits, right? Yes. So portraits of artists. I'm really artist people, they don't matter. Um, and so, and most of the artists that you've done portraits of are musicians, right? Correct. And so I knew Jeremy, who's a musician, was writing a piece, and I thought, no brainer. Can, would you be interested in creating a portrait of Jeremy? And so I connected the two of them, and can you guys just explain? Well, yeah, I had never met Jeremy until he actually came over to my place, and I was actually able to show him where I create, and it's not really a studio, it's my living room. I live in like a very small, two-room apartment, um, and we sat and we talked about his music and the piece that he wrote and how he was inspired to do it. Um, then I photographed him in awful fluorescent lighting in my kitchen, and we sat down and picked out an image, and that's what you see. What was that like for you, Jeremy? It was very surreal, because how many times do you go and like, you know, go over to somebody's house and like, I'm going to do a portrait of you, can you just sit here and then just turn your head this way, uh, think about this word, uh, think about this word, okay, do this, and then you get this. Uh, it, was a, it was just a really cool collaborative experience. Um, I don't work with many artists who do painter's tape portraits, <laughs> so that was, that was quite unique just in kind of its, in its like being. So I had a lot of questions of like, how, do you, how, like, how did you start? Like, you know, tell me about like your whole art and what like there was kind of like a, a moment of like, can we do this? Like, are we, like are we like compatible as artists? And I think that was like the coolest part is kind of figuring out, you know, is this gonna is this gonna work with with both of our like personalities and perceptions of the world? And I tried to explain, here's here's the thought behind the piece, the article, the song, uh, and trying to give him a full like picture. Um, both like on the ground and up in the air, kind of my thoughts on it. So, Marty, when he was talking, were there particular things that you glommed on to? For this? Yes, well, in talking to him, it was definitely, there was a lot of wonder, a lot of hope. Um, so that's what I tried to capture initially with the photographs. Uh -huh. You know, and they do know that I always start with the eyes, and once I get the eyes down, it's smooth sailing from there. So as long as I could have him looking the way that I envisioned him writing that piece, then I felt like it was successful. And you captured this band bond really well. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you've done some stuff with painters today, Stephen, haven't you? Or you thought about it? Uh, I, make, I make my students do it. So he does some work with him. Yeah. Two people in Birmingham have work with I have a nice temporary stained glass window. Have you looked down on the window where the no. light comes through? Oh, it's great. So, so you two need to collaborate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Jeremy wrote a piece about one of his songs, and uh, you ready to read it? Yeah. Um, so that's our reading for tonight. If you have a copy, turn to page 72, My Perfect Girl. You guys can stay up here. All right. Um, and Jeremy's going to read it for us. Jury duty seemed like a good idea when I received the summons. 
I had had a few days off from playing shows in the courtroom antics in movies always intrigued me. I wanted to be selected. Since deciding someone's trial outcome is a great responsibility, after all, justice should be upheld, and only a half of us were going to be chosen to determine what path the defendant's life would take. Thirty of us answered the lawyer's shower of questions. How did we feel about marijuana, marijuana legalization? Have we ever been pulled over? Did anyone in our families ever struggle with alcohol or drug addiction? And what are the crimes that we've seen committed in our families? We openly confessed our connection to those who struggled with alcohol addiction or attempted suicide, and people shared about friends and family who had been convicted of murder, rape, and molestation. I hesitate to talk to strangers in my favorite coffee shop, much less tell them the dirty and shameful secrets of my or my family's life. However, there we all were, listening as people shared the most joyless moments they had experienced. I realized in that moment just how wide the gap was between the two, between the worlds I grew up in and the one I was hearing about in the courtroom. I grew up a son of a pastor, and if the doors were unlocked in the church building, I was there. My childhood consisted, mostly consisted of my three brothers and I running through the acre of woods in our backyard. The creek that ran through it was the setting of hours of swimming, catching minnows, going hunting with our BB guns, and going off the grid with a hatchet, making trails to faraway lands. My parents loved me unconditionally, punished me for the things I did wrong, and rewarded me for the things that they were proud of. There wasn't a moment I regretted, and I had no fears, aside from the irrational fear of a monster that lurked under my bed at night. My brothers, and, my brothers and I weren't yet molded by the world's opinions. We lived free of judgment, lies, and insecurities. We lived in a world where we didn't have to hide or have our guard up at all times. It became very easy growing up in that safe environment to be cut off from the harsh realities of the world. Looking back, so much of that culture sheltered me, my brothers and me, from the pain and suffering people just over the hills were dealing with on a daily basis. In my 20s, I've developed a deep interest in self-evaluation, self-expression, and honesty to a fault. As a result, I experience a rub between my two worlds. The first consists of a life I grew up with as, as a child and still encounter in much of the church culture today. The second is made up of the realities and hardships that produce raw, unfiltered emotion. That rub has boiled down to this question for me. Why am I scared to admit having strong emotions or to ask any objections or questions about church walls? A while back, I found myself explaining to a mentor just how much I was questioning the church culture I was currently experiencing. It was, it was impossible for me to support the church-going experience that involved nothing more than an hour-long simplistic service where many of the churchgoers used dishonest, self-preservation tactics to maintain worth and value where vulnerability was too much for God to handle. Because of these sentiments, God didn't seem so real to me anymore, at least not like he did when I was a kid. I had become accustomed to operating on the fear that people might find that monster under my bed and mock it. In preparation for recording my debut 
album a year ago, I wrote a song entitled My Perfect World. In it, those two worlds finally had a chance to go head to head, and I hoped the finished product might provide some a few answers for my discouraged soul. Verses of seemingly endless problems and issues and cultural ins insensitivities essentially wrote themselves. After all, 20 minutes in any courtroom will provide enough processing material to overcome any writer's block. It seems as though there were too many problems to know where to begin. Wrapped around the complex verses, a simple chorus emerged. Kyrie eleison. These words from the ancient Christian liturgy translate to a simple yet profound cry. Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy for the issues caused, problems created, hatred harbored, and the sadness inflicted. My perfect world calms my soul. It certainly has not fixed all the problems, but it slowly helps me make sense of my worlds. It gives me hope for tomorrow. It gives me hope that maybe the problems do not overwhelm the one who has the answer. Perhaps the answer is simple. Return. Return to the childlike faith Jesus references in Matthew 18 that is free from judgment, insecurities, and walls guarding pride. Love without hesitation or reservation and live as children imitating their father. Hold on to truth while allowing true, vulnerable emotions. Be slow to offer quick fixes to complex problems. For God does not lose sight of his children. The questions that baffle reason, the sadness that cries harder than listens, the anger that blows up calmness, they, they do not catch God off guard. And may we as his children extend this confidence, power, peace and love when we encounter our own fellow jurors. And if we fail this extension, may we always return to one prayer. Lord have mercy. Christ have mercy. And now we're going to hear the song.
He also, uh, you have a table in the tap room back there with some of the artists with, you have some music for sale back there. If, buy one of his CDs. Do you have any vinyl records? No. Oh, dang it. Not uh, uh, buy one of his CDs. Uh, and thanks, Stephen and Marty, also for coming up here and talking about your art and for participating in the magazine. Thanks again to the Five O'Clock Musicians who are going to come back up and uh, play some more music as we mingle. Thanks to all of you for coming out and uh, just for providing your personal and moral support uh, for this event 
in the publication. We have a couple of uh, events coming up that might interest you uh, that are actually people who contributed to this issue of the magazine. Um, Dan Seidel, who was kind of our celebrity interview, uh, he was here in town earlier this year. Maybe you missed him, maybe you were excited about what he had to say. We're bringing him back in town uh, on Thursday, September 29th. He's going to be doing two events. Uh, uh, I pointed out Brooke Fleming earlier. She's the coordinator of Birmingham Creative Roundtable, uh, which meets once a month to discuss creativity. And uh, Dan's going to be speaking there 7.30 a.m. Uh, uh, Thursday, September 29th. And also that same day, uh, Stephen's colleague Joe and I and also Mark Gillette are going to do a panel discussion with uh, Dan at Sanford University. If you haven't signed that clipboard that was going around, please do so if you want to uh, hear more about those events. And also in February, in a few months, uh, my friend Fadi Bukaram, who did a, the photo essay from Lebanon in the issue, uh, he is traveling around the United States going to every city in the United States named Lebanon, because he's from Lebanon, and he's going to be doing a photo project. There's no Lebanon in Alabama, but there is one in Tennessee. Uh, so I said, hey, when you're in Tennessee, can you come to Birmingham? Uh, and we're going to do a photo exhibition with him, date to be determined. Uh, but please, again, sign up on that clipboard and we'll tell you uh, when that is solidified. I'm excited about him coming in town uh, to display some of his uh, photography. Uh, and also, again, thanks again for coming out. Feel free to, to stay uh, as long as you want. The silent option there on the center table goes uh, to support future issues of the magazine. Uh, please buy some of that artwork there. Buy some of the artwork from the artists on the periphery of this room. There are a couple people in the chapter room, including Jeremy, selling CDs. And remember, Sarah and Craig have that uh, cool photograph of the, the uh, rainbow tunnel from the underpass of the railroad. Uh, the big version of it for sale for $1,300. If you buy it, $500 of that goes to the magazine. I think that's all I want to say. Thanks for bearing with us. Thanks again, guys. Thank you so much for coming out. Stick around.